Fate is an ethereal thing that can't really be explained, but most people at some point in their lives experience a moment where all the randomness seems to line up to point you in a specific direction. However, waiting for that moment can be frustrating as hell. This was the case for struggling screenwriter Jeff Arch. Back in the late 80s, Arch found himself frustrated with his writing career while working as an English teacher and Taekwondo instructor to make ends meet. Admittedly, he didn't have much of a reason to continue the pursuit, but then his son was born, and Arch challenged himself to write three full-length screenplays in one year as a Hail Mary, and little did he know that this play would score big as the second of these three scripts was today's subject, Sleepless in Seattle. At first, there was a lot of skeptical feedback on this script. People were concerned that no one would want to watch a romance about two lead love interests who don't meet up until the end of the film. But in 1990, the script would find its champions in producer Gary Foster, and eventually, with some begging, TriStar Pictures executive Richard Bischoff. However, the concerns over Arch's writing would follow the script for several years, giving it a long development process. Many of the execs on the film wanted it to be edgier and quirkier. They needed more humor that Arch just didn't and couldn't, even himself included, didn't think he could deliver. The script went through no less than five rounds of rewrites. Arch would get his own pass, but it was discarded along with many others. And the studio began to lose faith in the film. But luckily, writer David S. Ward was brought on, and he would end up making some crucial changes to the script. One in particular was having Jonah, Sam's son, call into the radio station instead of Sam. These improvements reinvigorated the studio's verb for the film, but they still needed that comedic touch in order to get over the hump. Enter Nora Ephron. While one of the biggest names in cinema now, Efron found herself in an admitted lull in her career, having not reached the same success as her breakout film When Harry Met Sally in some time. She was in the process of searching for script doctoring jobs when Foster reached out to her to do a rewrite on Sleepless in Seattle. She took the job thinking it would be a fun and easy job, but after turning in a draft that the studio loved, they elevated her to director, kicking out former director Nick Castle, who disagreed with the direction Efron had taken the film in. While Castle was out and Efron was in, the film was finally greenlit and headed into production. The project became a hot property in Hollywood as many well-known actors auditioned and were considered for roles in the film, including Julia Roberts, Kim Basinger, Michelle Pfeiffer, Sharon Stone, Jodie Foster, Demi Moore, Madonna, Dennis Quaid, Jason Schwartzman, just to name a few. But Efron was adamant about Meg Ryan for Annie, whom Efron worked with on When Harry Met Sally, and Tom Hanks as Sam. Most of the film was shot in Seattle in 1992, which came with a litany of issues, one being that there was a lack of sound stages in Seattle at the time, causing the production to have to shoot on an abandoned naval base uh, that uh, Efron had to contact a senator about to get permission to use. Then, they couldn't get permission to film on the Empire State Building, so once again, Efron, who knew the building's manager's publicist, got them to contact the building manager who was in prison for tax evasion at the time, who then ultimately did give Efron permission to film on the Empire State Building for just six hours. And luckily, the production was able to get everything they needed in that time. 
The stars aligned when Sleepless in Seattle hit theaters in the summer of 1993 and became a surprise hit. After having the most successful opening weekend of all time for a romantic comedy at that time, Sleepless in Seattle would go on to make over $227 million worldwide on a $25 million budget, while also receiving mostly positive reviews from critics and even ending up garnering two Oscar nominations, one for Best Original Screenplay for credited writers Efren, Arch, and Ward, as well as Best Original Song neither of which it would end up winning, unfortunately. However, over the years, Sleepless in Seattle has maintained its spot amongst the shining stars of romantic comedy classics. But now, I can't help but think what could have been if Jeff Arch had given up, or if Gary Foster hadn't lobbied so hard, or if David S. Ward and Nora Ephron had not been brought on. Any step along the way, the signs could have been missed, but weren't. And here we are now. So today, we're calling in to get on the air so we can ask the question, Sleepless in Seattle, what's it about? I'm Ricardo Blade Diaz. I'm Seth Crow. I'm Megan Brana. And this is the What's It About Film Podcast, the show where we try to glean the meaning of it all through the media we consume, holding a mirror up to ourselves and seeing how it reflects in our own lives. Seth and Megan, how you doing today? You know, I ate a lot of brisket. <laughs> Seth, Seth bogged down by brisket. I'm How a little, much brisket did you eat? I ate a lot of. I, I drank too much and ate a lot of brisket. So oh. so my my tummy is a little like rumbly. Bordeaux know? and brisket, beers and brisket. Yeah, yeah, Bad. yeah. You know because if 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 someone else was here to help me eat it all, maybe I wouldn't have ate so much. There yeah. were other people there. There were a dozen other Megan people. Megan abandoned Seth in his time of I need. I had to. I had other plans that were just as important. No one is more or less important. I just was allotting my time. <laughs> I had a good time and then I left. Megan's too to, cool. I couldn't, Megan's too I couldn't cool invite my friends. I couldn't invite my friends because they're vegan. I can't invite my <laughs> vegan friends to eat brisket. That's disrespectful. If only Megan was there, Seth wouldn't feel so oh sick. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be nauseous this morning if I had. Oh to, my god! Had to he, eat he, two portions. portions. <laughs> were you the only one eating brisket? There were like five other people there at making the brisket, and then six inside. So it ended up being like eight people. Some people bailed because they're losers. Brisket takes a long time. It does. We didn't eat till ten thirty. But oh my god! Yeah. But it it was really re- it's really good. It's it was mm. I'm proud. The fact that we cooked it on it the fire good. is wild. Yeah, ten thirty is right when my uh, Taco Bell Postmates showed up, so we were eating at the same time. Yeah, so I'm just saying, you Megan. I think you missed out. this. I think you missed the signs and you missed fate. Uh, on, yeah, you missed I, out on this wonderful brisket. Yeah, the brisket was my Walter. The Taco Bell is my Tom Hanks. <laughs> <laughs> the theme of my life that's you missed out and yes today we are talking about sleepless in seattle the 1993 romantic comedy directed by Nora efron written by efron uh david s ward and jeff arch uh megan this was your pick so why did you pick sleepless in seattle for us today oh my god why would i not pick sleepless in seattle <laughs> this movie is so formative for me i watched it when i was a kid I, I was just thinking when you were like, what would have happened if this movie didn't get made the way it was? I don't think I would be the person I am. Um, it's most of my personality. It's <laughs> um, it's like all of my understanding of love and romance. Not all of, that's dramatic, but it's the basis. Um, 
I, when I was a kid, I watched it. I just thought it was sweet. And then the older I get, like I, now I really admire Nora Ephron as a writer and a person and a director. And she's just one of my favorite, um, writers of all time. And, um, so it kind of, I grew into it a little bit and, um, no matter how many times I watch it, it always feels like a, like a hug. Mm-hmm. I will say like Nora Ephron, I think has a big fingerprint on the way that rom-coms. Oh Yeah started to get made after like when Harry met Sally, obviously that was a huge, massive success. And to this day, people, a lot of people say the best rom-com of all time. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, you know, her stamp on the genre is I think undeniable for sure. She has not been as active recently uh, as far as like big, big splashy projects, but you know, her, her influence I think continues to be folded in by people like us who were so enamored and, loved her work as we were in our formative years who are now creating and things like that. So I think her influence is definitely being felt. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, Seth, what's your history with sleepless in Seattle? I watched it once in Chicago. This is the second time I've watched it. I'm taking some, I am taking some facial and, and body language cues and I don't think you like it very much. I think when Harry met Sally is significantly better. They're different. Better. They're different. <laughs> both are both are perfect movies, and that's a fact. I, I, I have some arguments about how this is not a, a perfect movie. Oh, um, we'll get to that. Yeah, I have rebuttals. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> she's like, she's like, she like pulls okay. up like, all, all, like a stack I've, of a stack I, of prepared. prepared I've been training. Look, I'm still my on the whole brisket. life. I'm still on the brisket. I, You're just mad at me about the brisket. I offered, I offered to put on Sleepless in Seattle in the living room and yeah, feed her brisket. But to watch Sleepless in Seattle with somebody who doesn't l- really like it would be physically painful. Well, I wasn't going to watch it. And while eating brisket? Oh, you're just going to put it on? I'm just going to put it on. But, also being in the room while it's on and people not watching it also hurts me. Okay. That's fair. That might have... People may have been distracted. See, I couldn't have done it. I would have been the most annoying person at your house. This 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 movie is a crazy movie. <laughs> okay, if we're going to talk about the premise, we have watched so many movies where we're like, okay, it's a movie. You can forgive certain things. So why are we suddenly veering from that? This, this is a theme with Seth. If you remember when we did 27 Dresses as well. Uh-huh. When it comes to rom coms, his his ability to suspend disbelief is has is always less when it comes to rom coms. It's but always if, less. Then okay, but yeah, but that means you're gonna hate every rom com because that's the fun of it. Uh, it's a it's a sticking it's a sticking point for him. Okay, all right, okay. <laughs> I just disagree. I think I just don't think we can pick and choose what we're like. Okay, it's a movie, and what we're like, no, you know. I agree. <laughs> mm. We'll I, I disagree. We're fighting. We're fighting. Yes. <laughs> We're fighting. This is a fight. How does everybody else feel? Mom, dad, don't fight, please. <laughs> you already live in different houses. <laughs> please. Uh, so my history was sleepless in Seattle. Um, I've seen it a few times. It's definitely not one of those that I go back to all the time. I mean, I, I do like it. I like it a lot. I, there are th- I think – Meg Ryan is gorgeous in this movie. That's why I put that out there. She is so charming. I think one of the movies where she looks the absolute best that she ever has. I uh, and her obviously hair? She, her hair. Yeah, her she's hair. beautiful in this movie. And 
not only that, like she has, th- this was like right in her like wheelhouse or like her heyday where she was just, like the most charming and charismatic presence on screen, no matter what she's doing. Yeah. She just had like such a, a charm to her. She was that I can't explain. Yeah. And like a lot of her early movies had this, um, and that a lot of her later stuff doesn't. Um, so like this is like peak Meg Ryan for me, and so I I, I am enamored by her always. And Tom Hanks in a, a slight a, to this point in his career, a slightly more serious, grounded role for him, where a lot of his uh, stuff before that was a little bit more goofy, a little bit more broad and big. This was I think a little bit more like zoned in, which I yeah. was nice to see from him. Um, he's great. Yeah, he's really good in it. I I will say this is not one of my all time favorite rom coms, but I do. As a writer, I respect that it is effective, even though the whole thing that people say about it, that the two romantic leads never actually see each other until the last two minutes of the movie. It's a well, gimmick. Well, they do. They it's do. a gimmick. It's no. Oh, hold on. <laughs> All right, you know I said my piece. Let's get into it. I, you know, wait, taking taking the taking the rails off. Let's go. Let's it's go. It's not a, okay. So the whole the the thing that makes a romantic comedy really work as a movie and makes the genre so good is that you have to like the two people independently. They can't be annoying independently. You have to care about both of them. It can't be like you only care about them getting together. You only care about their romance. And this movie does a perfect job. Like that's the whole thing. It's just watching these two people falling in love with them separately. And then being so excited for them to find each other because you care about both of them individually. So it's kind of a gimmick, but it's also kind of like just taking already a basic requirement of a romantic comedy and like perfecting it. It's a writer's experiment. It is a, it is, it's a gimmick. Like, it's like, I want to write a movie where they don't meet like that. Well, that is what, yeah, that's what you have a thing. And then you, I mean, it's, it's cool. That's the coolest thing about the movie. Is that it is kind of like an, a writing experiment. It's a, subversion, it's a subversion of cool? expectations. Yeah, his, the houseboat was uh, was uh, not originally planned. It wasn't in the script. That was <laughs> something that when they got to Seattle, they were just so inspired by by the city that they're like, oh, people in this city care a little bit less about their work and a little bit more about their lifestyle. And so they're like, okay, we want to find something that matches that for for Sam because he's going from Chicago, a very business first city mm-hmm. and he's working in this high rise and things like that let's find the place where he lives now where it's a little bit more about the the kind of just the being and yeah. also the idea that like he's a little bit like anchored down and he's kind of just in this like adrift mm-hmm. kind of state in his life he's like on this water and just kind of sitting there and just floating and drifting yeah. um i think that's a, a the thing about Nora efron in this as a director in this is that she like on the fly came up with some stuff that makes really great thematic sense for the movie. And like, she just did it like on the fly type stuff. Like, like which Well, like that, that was one of them. Also like, um, she like changed certain ways that like make Ryan would do things. And like I said, finding like having to reach out and contact specific people about like where they're going to shoot certain things. She was just like, I have to make this happen. Yeah, and I will I will call in as many favors as possible. I love her. So she's a go getter. Um, I, I get what her. you're saying, Seth. Though, like, I feel like a lot of movies start off in that like writer place. Like, for example, John Wick. 
which we watched last week, was one of those movies. Was like, what if we did a revenge movie where it's not about the wife and the kid? It's about something yeah. even simpler than that. Or it's like it's it's the dog, right? This guy's upset because people killed his dog. I mean, there's a lot more built into that, but like, that's the you know, as Megan <laughs> learned learned and was shocked by. That's the ki- they killed the dog movie, yeah. and that everybody get you know gets upset at you know. And so I think a lot of movies, especially movies that eventually stand out, do have this like, what if we did things differently attitude to it. And I don't think the movie should be penalized for that necessarily. Oh, I'm penalizing the movie for Annie's psychopathy. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Hold on. Time out. (laughs) Ding, ding. Round one is over. (laughs) Seth got in a cheap blow at the end there. (laughs) Um, For anybody out there who has not watched Sleepless in Seattle in a while or has never watched Sleepless in Seattle, Here's the plot real quick, just to remind you. So 18 months after the death of his wife, Sam's son calls into a radio show to ask for help finding his father a new wife. Sam's story sparks a star-crossed romance spanning the entire country between him and Annie, a Baltimore reporter. All right, that's the plot. Now we got that out there for anybody who has (laughs) forgotten what the story's about. All right, so Seth had just said that that Annie has a psychopathy, and go ahead, Megan. Well, I'm just going to say right now, we're not going to agree on this, because we've already established that you do not, for some reason, and we'll examine that later. (laughs) It seems like, according to what Ricky has said and what I know, that there's less of a willingness to suspend disbelief. Uh, in a romantic comedy, so we're just not going to come to an agreement on this. I think, obviously, in real life, this is not normal behavior. That could be said of almost every movie we've watched. I do think it's also behavior that's seen in a lot of other romantic serendipity. Something like this happens. Um, I can't think of any right now. But there are other ones where this happens. Maybe not as good. But I just... I it's hard for me to even argue this point because that's a point where I'm like, it's a movie. So that's, I just take that away from it. Can I make it? Could, could I make a slight argument to you, Seth? Sure. Please, Ricky do. I just, this is just like a thought experiment. I, I kind of like has made me think about this. Cause like, yeah, that's a little, her behavior is a little crazy as far as like, she hears this guy on the radio and immediately like falls, kind of falls in love with him and like, upends her whole life for this dude and that yeah that is like a little bit like convinces her child convinces his child to travel to new york that's not what she did that's not what she did that's not what she did he did that on his own volition yeah she didn't say that to him but but But, tom hanks doesn't know that you know like i know i know uh so this is what i'll say do you would you would you buy this film more if Annie and Sam were in the same location and they like saw each other from across the room and like there was like this weird like connection and but then they separated and then the movie happened would that make more sense to you maybe yeah i mean if if it, the way that it it happens with Annie from across the country listening to the radio is just crazy it's just okay. So crazy. this is this is where my this is where my thought experiment comes in. So these two who just see each other in a room, 
and like have this connection that kind of become obsessed with each other, or at least one of them comes obsessed with the other, just from seeing each other, not even talking or saying a word to each other, not even knowing each other's personalities, right? You would buy that more than somebody hearing Sam and, and a very vulnerable and real part of him shared. It's something that she actually knows about him as a human being. You that sh- that she's able to connect with. You think that that's less believable than two people seeing each other? Yeah. So falling in love. I, 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 it's not about seeing; it's about human energy. So, like, if you're in okay. someone's presence, you can pick up on their their hum- their energy frequency or whatever. Well, you don't think that there's you can pick up on somebody's energy and somebody's like soul and, and heart through the words that, that they say and how they say it. I mean. It's like falling in love with Anya Taylor Joy, you know, like that. That's Mm -hmm. that's what I'm saying is like it's like falling in love with somebody on a reality TV show. Yeah. So you're comparing it to like celebrity infatuation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like when someone doesn't know somebody, but they for some reason think they're in love with that person and they they pursue it in an unhealthy manner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're going to listen to somebody like like she's having a psychotic break because she doesn't want to marry Walter. And uh, here's another thing is poor Bill Pullman. (laughs) So he's he's a perfectly charming, nice guy. Just so, not right for her. That's the best part that Walter is a nice guy. And yeah. the the thing that Nora Ephron does that is uh, drives me crazy too is the breakups in the movie are never realistic. They're like, oh, you're in love with somebody else, so we'll be immature adults and separate, and you go, you go get him. And it's like, it's like, <laughs> it's like, there... same when Harry met Sally. Same when when Harry met Sally. Like. There's this moment where the Meg Ryan and her long-term significant other are just like, oh, we're not, we're not going to be together anymore. Okay. Have a great day. Like there's just, it's just so like, not like, not how it works. It's just so not how it works. I, I don't think in that, that's one of my favorite scenes in that movie is when they break up because I don't think Walter's like, I'm fine. Like, I think they both kind of know they're not it for each other. And they're, Walter will probably be more sad than Meg Ryan. But I think in the long run, he knows that it's... Why would you want to be with somebody who doesn't love you? What does he say? Like, marriage He's, is already hard w- enough without bringing... Right. Such low expectations. Yeah. Very like, mature. Line, very so mature. Good. Very mature But why can't you be part. mature? And why would no people aren't people aren't mature when they people break up. are they argue you're talking argue. to the wrong people then <laughs> <laughs> okay round round two is over <laughs> oh I didn't know I was gonna be playing referee in this one <laughs> okay so okay so that I think there's a there's a fair point to be made. That like, I think most people are not mature in that way. <laughs> most people are yeah. not emo- um, emotionally articulate no. to that extent, where okay, like you okay, were engaged okay. to somebody and they're like, "By the way, I never kind of really loved you," and that person's just gonna be like, "Oh, that's cool." You oh, know? that makes like, sense. Of, yeah. of course, yeah. of course, that person's gonna be sad, but like, they're not not. An agree an agreement on this. That's this is a thing that Nora Ephron does a lot, 
this like very mature, emotionally articulate, mature adults type of thing that I think is just like a, oh, you just want you because like something that she also does is she creates characters who are in relationships where it's like that other partner is not a bad person. Like mm-hmm. like Walter is, is a perfectly fine, lovely guy. And, and there's other than yeah. the fact that like Annie doesn't love him. There's no reason that they couldn't be together. Mm-hmm. And so they're if he were to blow up at her in that moment, it would it would give you a sour taste of him and kind right. of ruin the movie a little bit if he like flipped out. So like for convenience's sake, he he's mature. Right. And I can so I can understand why that frustrates Seth, where it's like, this is very clearly a writer's convenience to like not make Walter seem like an asshole. Yeah. You know? Because yeah. we all because we want Sam and Annie to be together. You don't want any fallout from exactly. It. Yeah, no. Like, I, like okay. how messy would that be? Especially because the movie is like five minutes from being over. Yeah. How messy would it be if they have a huge fight there and then she just like goes and like holds hands with Tom Hanks like five seconds later? Yeah, it would feel like emotional whiplash. Because uh, so, this movie does a really good job of even though she's doing these things that are like a little you know mm. much, you still at least I do. I still like her a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm still like, okay, she's being like a lot, but you still like her. But I think if Walter did blow up and she immediately ran off to be with someone else, that would make it harder to like her. It would make her seem a little bit cold. It would make yeah. her seem a, a little, almost in a weird way, a little bit sociopathic where it's like, yeah. I don't care about your feelings. Cause I only care about what I want. Yeah. But the like, whole movie, I think they're like drifting. They both know they're mm-hmm. not. I, I think, think they're in love with each no. other. That's pretty clear. I, although I would say I, Maybe it would have helped a little bit if she seemed more guilty about what she's doing to him. She was. There's that scene. Hardly. Hardly. <laughs> I'll give it to you. There's a little bit where she definitely seems a little bit, a little bit like, like, I'm so sorry kind of thing. But like, yeah, it's so li- like little. It's yeah. so teeny tiny. Like she I does. would, I would feel if I were her, I yeah. would feel terrible. Yeah, 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 terrible. Like I would, ha- I would need and want to have a long conversation with that person mm. before running off to meet somebody else who I think I'm in love with. I think I like, yeah, yeah. Um, this is a, a theme in another rom com that I really like, where somebody does a crazy thing. Um, my best friend's wedding. I where love like my they, best friend's wedding. Oh, it's so good. Arguably, your main romantic lead, main female romantic mm. lead, is maybe the villain. Um, and less so in this movie, but in My Best Friend's Wedding, that's the whole like gimmick of it. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's what makes this movie like still good years later and still interesting years later is that they're not like sweet and perfect and boring. They're complicated and maybe a little or a lot selfish. And But you can still like them. Mm-hmm. I think that's what makes it more than like those kind of like shitty one layer, like early 2000s rom-coms where like everything feels a little cheap. Mm. There's, I like that depth to this. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. I mean, it's a good movie. I just think I like. I'm just not like I. It doesn't blow me away. Like, like I think like when Harry Met Sally is a rom com that blows me away. Mm-hmm. This movie, like, there's it's just it's a little heavy handed in its writing. Like I, it, I can see this. I like that. I can see the scaffolding of it like the whole time like even the way the music comes in it's just so boom 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 it's like so heavy hitting with it's like like the music's good but it's like so abrupt you know i don't know it's it's uh and like 
Meg Ryan's character is it like I I I yeah, she's very charismatic. The the actors carry the film because otherwise otherwise it's crazy. Like You don't think the writing is good? It's it's just the best the best thing about the writing is the dialogue moment to moment. Like Isn't that all it is though? No, 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 no. The plot itself is like it's like it's so it's like it's like scaffolding. Like it's it's like you can the structure like I'm sitting here from far away watching this skyscraper get built. You know, like I don't know. It's 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 uh <sighs> the dialogue is great. Hmm. Like the scene where they're like making fun of his sister for crying, like the way yeah. that, that, like the way they engage with each other, like that's really, really good. Yeah. But like watching them, it's like, it's like knowing, it's like knowing the Titanic's going to sink, you know, like. Yeah, but that doesn't change that movie. That's a, I think that's a bad argument because that movie is still effective, even though you know that's going to happen. <laughs> but it's not. This isn't is Titanic. But this isn't Titanic. That's what that's what right. I'm saying. Like, it Titanic does a great job of it's about the journey, you know. Mm. But this is like not as well written as Titanic. Like it is like you can see the pe- the puzzle pieces as they're like being placed. And you like know where it's going the whole time, you know? That's, I think that we're hitting on your aversion to these kinds of movies because that's any romance. You know what's going to happen at the end. Uh, yeah. That's any of these. Yeah. Like, yes, you can see, you know. Seth likes rom coms that are mean, like as good as it gets. <laughs> he loves as I've good as it gets. I've actually never seen that. You've never seen as good as it gets. We watched it. We watched it for the podcast last year. Uh, That was one of his picks, and uh, Mm. he likes that one because it's really mean. (laughs) What do you mean by what do you mean? The main character is really mean throughout. Like he's really snarky and awful throughout most of the movie, and then he gets the girl at the end. He's he's he has uh, a lot of areas to grow, and he he has to grow a lot throughout the movie, and because he he starts off in a really nasty. He's obsessive compulsive, and he's a. Uh, a romance writer and so he's like he doesn't have he doesn't believe what he writes he but doesn't he's very successful what, yeah. can i ask why you're more drawn to movies where like the male character can be really problematic mm-hmm. but the female character can't be without it being unrealistic i i, I think you're drawing conclusions there i i, Rick, I ricky said i liked as good as it gets i like as good as it gets <laughs> okay okay not because the male character is problematic. I like as good as it gets because it's a very, it's like a very realistic romantic comedy. Uh, But if you want a realistic romantic comedy, watch a romantic drama. Yeah. I mean, here this, and I think I've said this before on the podcast. The reason I have a problem with romantic comedies is because they're so grounded in reality that it sets my standards to be, it sets my, my expectations and standards, I guess, uh, to, to real life standards and expectations. And I I don't like, I don't like that romantic comedies cast this net over existence Mm 
that this is the way love is. And I, I will say, and I think maybe we, we can start dipping into our theme gleans here in that I think this movie sets you up to the opening. So the opening credit sequence is like the, these like names that have these stars by them. Right. And the name disappears, but the star stays. And I think this movie is like, this whole movie is about, is about this idea of like these like weird, magical, random coincidences. Right. That's the movie's premise. Really. Truthfully, the movie, this movie is like, Hey, life is random, but sometimes things line up in a way that like is hard to ignore. Right. And like, for me, that's like the theme. A lot of like, I like gleaned from this movie was I, and most people that know, knew me in my youth would say this was a super romantic kid. Like I was very Barney influenced, was very love, love. And into, like, I thought I had girlfriend, like I had a girlfriend quote unquote in like preschool. Like that's how lovey I was. I fell in love. Age. I fell in love for the first time in third grade. Ex- yeah. <laughs> I, I was 23. <laughs> I I was I was making wedding plans with a girl in second grade. We were talking about what house we were going to have, how many kids we were going to have, like in second grade. Like I bought in hard to romance as a child. So like very very romantic and very believing in like these like magical properties that people a lot of like movies and and media says that love has. My love life is very contrary to a lot of that stuff where I've had a lot of misfortune in my love life. And, and so I've become more cynical over time, but yet I still find myself yearning, getting, getting caught up in, in signs and stars aligning and all this stuff. And so for me, this movie watching it now, having not watched it in a long time is, is kind of, has kind of taken on a new form with me instead of like believing in magic and believing in the, the coincidences of and fate of love, which is like this movie I think is presenting like that fate exists. And like, you have to like, when you see the signs, like follow them for me, this film is about embracing the fact that chaos exists. So an, an idea that like, look, it's, the, it's, the world is, is an entropy, right? The universe is an entropy, but Things sometimes collide, and even though it's random, it does not mean it doesn't have a meaning, right? It's pronounced chaos. Cha- chaos. <laughs> Embrace the chaos. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> that's a callback to our, <laughs> to our Dungeons and Dragons show. <laughs> it's at that chaos. I just like. I just think it's chaotic to mispronounce chaos. Uh, <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like, like just because it, it is chaos and it is random, it is entropy, does not mean that those t- moments when things come together and align in a way, it doesn't mean that that doesn't mean something. Yeah. And for me, that, like, the way I think about it is, and the thing that I maybe I'm taking from this movie the most is, th- I relate things to science a lot because I think that I, I grew up as a, as a wanting to be a scientist. So I think about and, and not use science as analogies a lot. Um, so I heard this podcast recently where the guy talked about, this guy talked about if you stick, what happens when you stick your hand into an oven at, that's at 500 degrees 
for five seconds. What happens? You feel the heat, but you're, you don't burn your hand because there's not enough molecules in the air to cause enough damage in that short period of time. Like there's not enough actual air hitting your hand in order to damage it. If you left it in longer, more air would hit your hand and then therefore you have more damage. But stick your hand into a pot of boiling water for five seconds, which is technically colder than the 500 degree oven. You know, it's only what the boiling point of water is. Stick your hand in that boiling pot for five seconds. You will burn your hand because there's way more actual matter coming into contact with you. So for me, embrace the chaos means just because it's random does not mean that going and allowing yourself to, to embrace the idea that like sometimes things just line up in that way and to not ignore it gives you more opportunity for something to happen. Right? Like you can't, if you just sit back, like, like Sam has been doing, you're not going to put yourself out there enough to have these random things happen to you that lead to this quote unquote fate in magic. Yes, that is to, I I agree with your point. I think it is about fate. I think it's also majorly about the fact that like you have to have some sort, you have to participate. Mm -hmm. Um, She participates arguably too much, but you do have to recognize when those things are in front of you and, and sometimes make the thing happen. Mm. Um, And, or at least like, like she says at some point, like not wonder the whole time if she missed out on this thing. Mm. Um, so I think it's a mix of the movies to me, a mix of like, yes, fate and magic exist. You also have to be open to them and willing to, to go after them. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't follow a man to Seattle, but she didn't follow him to Seattle. He was already there. She tracked also... him down. She went to I, his She is a house. journalist. She was working on a story. Um, that she manufactured say... so she could stalk him. Also say, I really love the part. When you were saying, Ricky, the thing, this is more about the movie than about mm. like the glee. When you were saying, um, comparing it to if like two people saw each other in a room and one become became infatuated i i love about this movie maybe the not so realistic part the minute he sees her yeah and there's that moment so like you kind of understand i think the movie does a good job of being like okay if they were in each other's orbit this would have happened anyway and they just kind of had to like make it happen um Mm. because the minute he saw her he was he felt like a similar thing that she felt when she heard him on the radio like it wasn't just her um if he saw her and was like Mm. why are you here ew then it wouldn't have worked (laughs) And who would say you? It's Meg Ryan. Yeah, I would. It is the saving grace. No, him seeing her at the airport is the saving grace of. I love that part. Because everybody's been and they're high, struck with that feeling. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, like somebody enters your orbit that you never expected to enter your orbit, and then suddenly you are like, "What?" Like. Who, ha, who? Yeah. You know, and it's uh, it's very real and powerful. So that that yeah. is, like I said, I think the saving grace of the movie. Because otherwise, Annie's just crazy, and it doesn't make sense. But like, you know, the fact that they have this in person connection helps it a lot. Yeah. Mm. Right. 
So, so Seth, where where do you land with this movie? As far as like, yeah. what do you feel when you watch this movie? Where like, where does your your what's it about emotions go? Yeah, what's it about? I'm I'm having a hard time figuring out what this one's about because I mean, it's it's I don't know. I I I, I I'm struggling with what this movie's about because it's the easy answer is it's about fate you know but i don't think that's the full answer it's more about like you don't know what your life is going to throw at you mm. you know like it's your happily ever after isn't like the happily ever after like maggie died you know mm. like mm. Like you said, I had it per I had it perfect for for a little while, and you're yeah. like getting your happily ever after cut short is something that you can never foresee. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I don't know. So I, I guess I just have a weird time with. No, I totally get what you're saying. Like, it, mm-hmm. I feel like the the fate thing is like is presented to us as the like the movie gives it to us, and it's like. It's about fate. It's about like magic, you know, the magic of love. I would argue that it's not necessarily about fate. Like, cause for me, fate is like, means pre, like a preordained, a predetermined thing. And I don't think that this, this romance was predetermined for me. I think this movie is a little bit more about coincidence. Like Saren, like honestly, weirdly enough, it's about kind of about serendipity. It's about the mm-hmm. happy little, but that's what fate is. Lead you to. to, to I don't. Well, I don't. I don't fate necessarily think that, though. At least for me. I, I, again, I, for me, fate seems like it's it's a plan of some sort, and I don't think coincidences mm-hmm. and things lining up in a way is necessarily a plan. Yeah. That's what. That's why. That's why I would push back on the word fate. Fate feels like there's some. It's already been written down that this is going to happen. Right. Where for me, this movie is more of like you follow these you, these coincidences you follow these random collisions and sometimes they can lead you to something wonderful not always cuz they are random they are coincidental that's not the same thing as fate for me at least i it, we're talking about like what's it about i do think there are lots of watching it this time like trying to pick out themes. There's a lot going on. Like I, there were just certain lines that really struck me. And I was like, well, I guess you could argue the movies about that mm. where she says, you don't want to be in love. You want to be in love in a movie. Um, yeah. Like, that's a big part of it. That might be a theme. Yeah. I love that part. Um, but the, uh, the one he said, sorry, go ahead. I'm just saying like the problem th- that that's where I'm like stuck. Right. It's like, mm. it's saying that love is this thing but you want to be in love like you want to be in a movie, but it's a movie that is like that. So it's like, I don't know. It's, it, I find the, I find the themes in this film somewhat contradictory. And so it's really hard for me to nail down where, how I feel about the movie. Um, I understand that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When she says, Oh, no, go ahead. No, 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 no. I'm well, yeah. that's, that's a tough, I'm also kind of like working through this part. Cause I kind of just like wrote, noted that and didn't really like delve into it in my brain as much when she says that, I think thinking about it now, um, 
maybe the movie is positing that like you can have like romance is possible and magic is possible. You do have to, there needs to be some grounding in there also. But then, because they're watching An Affair to Remember, which is a movie about two, has, have you guys seen An Affair to Remember? I have not. So it's a movie about like missed, miscommunications, missed opportunities. And the fact that Meg Ryan, I think there's part of her character's whole thing is like, she doesn't want that to be her and to miss that chance. So she like overcorrects a lot. Um, but I think there is a lot in there about like learning from the movies and how they like shape our expectations, but also our decisions and what we hope our lives will be like. I think I know what I think this movie is about. I think this movie is about going with your gut. That is, yes. I don't think it's about fate. I think it's about, you know, how you feel and what you want. Mm-hmm. And you can easily set that aside or you can go with your gut and maybe your gut will be met. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's honestly probably where I have struggled in my life sometimes, you know, it's like, I have gone with my gut and then it got smacked in the face over and over again, which is like, you know, in not not just about we're not just talking like I don't even think we have to, to like leave romance on the table like it in lots of things art you know pursuit of career stuff like going with your gut is the best thing you can do I think um, because otherwise you're not going to be happy with the end result but it's not easy to go with your gut especially when you've been knocked down over and over and over again by following it and like tom hanks you know how do you go with your gut when your gut says the love of my life is dead yeah Yeah. so i will appreciate that in this film i yeah i genuinely in this movie i think the beginning is is really really good in in that Tom Hanks is Tom Hanks and the character of Sam. You, you totally understand it. You like, you know, like you, I think the b- very beginning, the first like five, 10 minutes is a little clunky with yeah, like, I agree. with like the weird, like s- the way they set up. Like, we just have to get you to this point to like connect with yeah. Sam and, and understand where he's at for this phone call for this catalyst. Right. But I think that scene of, of Jonah calling into this, this radio show, and the moment where we get Tom Hanks taught like opening up for the first time after the death of his wife, where he talks about his grief is really, really powerful, but also super relatable. This idea yeah. of like, you know, he talks about I was in love and and I lost that and I had perfection, but also like like what like, you know, the 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 host of the radio show is like, well, what would you what do you expect for your life then? Like if you don't think that you're going to fall, you can fall in love again. What do you expect? And the way he's, the way he says is profoundly sad, but also I think very real. He's like, well, I wake up in the morning and I get, I get, I get myself out of bed and I, throughout the day I breathe in and I breathe out. And he's like, one day I hope 
that I don't have to remind myself to get out of bed and I don't have to remind myself to breathe in. And the, yeah. Those are my favorite that's lines. A, those are my favorite that's lines. That's such a the great phone call's really good. I love that part. And that's and it, you can feel how like honest and raw that is of like mm-hmm. my my he's like my best hope for my life is that one day I don't just have to remind myself to to continue to exist. Yeah. Cuz yeah. like I he's like cuz if I didn't remind myself to do it, I would waste away and mm-hmm. and die. Basically. And you know, I'm sure a lot of that is he has a, his son to to continue to care for, who seems like he's a very loving father and a good. I dad. love their relationship. They're yeah. it's a very a lot of the times I'm annoyed by children in movies. Mm-hmm. So it was a very non annoying kid. Yeah, and also I like their relationship and the way he talks to him. Like it mm-hmm. almost you know maybe like a little inappropriate. Yeah, but like, but he's also figuring out how yeah. to, you know, he's a, find he's a pretty precocious eight year old. I would yeah. say like yeah. he, oh. he, his mom is dead. He's had to grow up a little bit emotionally. So I think yeah. his dad treats him a little bit more emotionally mature than maybe like other eight year olds. Would your be. mom dies. The, the, a lot of the rules I think go out the window. Yeah. You know? So I think he, I think as a result, maybe he like is more just open in, in everything about all things. With his son in a, in a way of like making sure that his son feels emotionally connected to him. It's like, look, I'm just going to be emotionally open with you and about everything, you know, about yeah. all aspects of life, you know, and and hope that that keeps us very connected to each other, you know. To the point where like his son calls calls this radio show because he's he's concerned about his dad. Like in a lot of these like movies where the parent dies, it's like. The child doesn't want to, you know, it's like, you can't replace mom. And like, it's, it's like that the dad can't have like any relationships. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Then this movie, this kid's like, I want my dad to have love. Like, mm-hmm. like I'm concerned that he, that he is sad and I want him to, to be happy. And like, yeah. that's again, a very emotionally mature eight year old thing to do to not think about his mom that he had lost when he was six or seven. And and instead, think about his dad's happiness because he can see how sad his dad is. And I, that his dad doesn't sleep. Sad, yeah. I He's also so sad. I enjoy Tom Hanks's uh, like reunion with his son at the top of the oh, yeah. Empire State yeah. Building. Like he's like he's like you're all I got. What would I have done yeah. if something had mm-hmm. happened to you? Like, yeah, it, it yeah. feels good. He says something. He says something like I haven't like screwed up so bad that we can't. Like whatever I can't remember that exact line, but I will say like, um, obviously different. But also, before I say that, the scene where he's like they're like fighting near the end. And he's like, "Haven't you seen Fatal, Fatal Attraction?" He's like, you wouldn't let me. I saw it and it scared the shit out of me. Um, I think that interaction's really funny because I, as the child of a single parent, obviously different circumstances. Um, <laughs> It's that's just like, and I don't really, I don't know any other parental dynamic, but like my mom and I had ridiculous fights where like, and then also moments like those at the top of the the tower where in those moments of vulnerability, she was, we've had moments of like, we're going to be okay. Like we haven't fucked up so royally that we can't, you know, still Mm -hmm. be okay. And so those are really touching moments for me. I love the the scene in the airport where, He's being just a little snot to to Tori as she's getting on that plane. And and Sam looks at him. He's like, look, let me explain to you what dating is. Like, nobody's perfect. And, like, you, like, go on dates with people and you figure out if you can deal with their their stupid shit. 
Yeah. <laughs> He's like, it's an adjustment. You try it on for a while. Like sometimes you can get over whatever that annoying shit that they do. Her is. laugh. Her laugh. That's that was a big that's, one. That's hilarious. Yeah, but I, yeah. I like I love that he breaks down. It's like, look, dating is not like I'm in love with her and this is the person. This is like I don't think she's perfect either. I'm just yeah. I'm feeling it out. You know. That's a big part of the movie too. Is that like um, Jonah's and I think a little bit Meg Ryan's what she wants to have in love is like that childlike like immediate mm-hmm. fairy tale feeling and as adults you kind of have to i think the movie's about a happy medium of again like there's fate and you also have to make those things happen and there is magic but you also have to be practical and give people chances and understand mistakes my cat scratching at the door bring her in um, here <laughs> she's, i'm not letting her in here she'll scream oh I have you guys ever had any any of these like weird fate like moments um in your life these oh. where where things just seem to like align up in this way that seems to like be pointing you in a specific direction maybe not in the moment but I feel like in retrospect I feel like that's true of a lot of stuff mm-hmm. but yeah there are certain things where I'm like this thing came into my life to get me to this point even if that like original thing didn't stick around what about you for you seth have you ever had one where it's like in the moment you're like that's a sign type thing bruh i think i know some of them if you want to share any yeah i mean i i'm this is my superpower Mm -hmm. and it's almost like i'm jaded by it like my superpower is i see signs in everything like I see symbols and everything, you know, yeah. and, and so I've, it's difficult for me to acknowledge some of the signs I see because uh, I feel silly sometimes that I see signs and everything. So like it, that's the way my brain works. My brain works and sees patterns in everything. And so I've had to like kind of step back from that ability and not take it so seriously because in my early, like, like early twenties, like it really ruled my existence uh, and made me pretty reckless. Um, Did some pretty reckless things. And so I've had to like take a new perspective i guess um because yeah i i used to act on signs a lot um what what are you thinking of ricky that you specifically are referencing i have i have one like i mean i've also had that this these kind of things like i'm also a again i was super romantically minded as a kid very influenced by like romance and like romantic comedies romantic movies and cartoons like disney you know disney is all about these like signs and things (coughs) that lead these characters to like falling in love and stuff like that so like i was very much i drank the kool-aid on that kind of thing so i'm also like seth and that like growing up i always thought i was seeing signs and signals that early on i would act on and one specifically that i can think of that's like it's such a like a, just a non consequential story, but it's like one of those moments where like things just like seemed to be indicating something so hard. So I was 
I started my acting major in college my junior year. So I didn't do any theater or acting until I was in my 20s. Um, my first acting class ever. Um, I was in my class in acting, in acting one. And there was this girl in the class. And I immediately had a huge crush on her. Immediately. I was like, I like this person very, very much. Um, and over the weeks in the early parts of class, I just, you know, was really infatuated with her. I thought she was really, she was funny. She was really kind. She was smart. I really, I, I had a huge crush on her. So our first partner scene was coming up. You know, we'd done monologues. We'd done these things, acting exercises. Our first scenes with partners was coming up. And I was like, oh, it'd be amazing if I got paired with this person, right? Because I've been wanting to like maybe ask her out for a few weeks. And so my professor was like, okay, you know, we're going to pick partners for the scenes. Uh, we're going to draw names out of a hat. And me being, I'm wearing a hat today, just realized, um, always I'm wearing baseball caps, especially in college. I was wearing them all the time. Um, I was like, Ricky, can we borrow your hat so we can pick names out of it? I was like, sure. So chopped up all the names, put them in my hat, fold them up. And she's like, you know what, since we're using your hat, why don't you pick first? And I was like, oh, like the odds of me picking this person's name out of this hat with everybody's name still in there is like, it was, I think we had like 20 something people in the class. So like the odds were not great, you know? Uh, but in my head, I was like, if I get paired with this person, I should totally ask her out. Like that, that's a sign to me. Like, cause the odds are not in my favor in this. So I was like, all right. So I put my hand in pulled out a name and it was this person and I was like amazing and like so like one day she came over to my house and we were rehearsing and things like that and it we just had I think a really good chemistry and a really good vibe and at that time I had this huge box of DVDs uh just like a huge box of them and she saw American Pie in it and she's like I've never actually seen American Pie and I was like oh well do you want to like borrow it you know, and, and she's like, sure. Everybody tells me this is where I messed up in the story. I should have said we should watch it together. I understand that now, but I was not confident enough yet. You should have bought a pie. <laughs> You're gross. I was going to say, I don't know if American Pie is like a movie to watch movie together. To watch is That's like fair. A but I, yeah, but I offered to let her borrow it. And, nice. and so she's like, cool. So we, we did our scene together and I was like, okay, I'm going to ask her out. I'm going to ask her out. So, a few a few weeks went by after we had done our scene together, and our scene went really really well. Um, and she hadn't given the movie; she kept forgetting to bring the DVD to class to give it back to me. So I sent her a text that was like a that was a simulated like automated message from like a movie rental store Cute. that was like you've accrued a huge late charge, you owe me this much money, you can do like installments of this much if you want to, or we can go get coffee together, basically. And then I'll, I'll I'll expunge the record. And she, nice. I I thought it was a pretty good play. Good, I thought it was a pretty good. good play. And this is where the the this is where the cynicism starts to begin. She she texts me back. She's like, "This was really clever and really smooth, and it would have worked if I did not have a boyfriend." <laughs> and I was like, "Hmm, yeah. that never came up." Okay, okay. And like, at least it's like, okay, at least I I played it well. And like, but I was like, but the universe just seemed like it was giving me all the arrows of yeah. like, go for it. <laughs> but it I'm is like, good 
it, I think it's good that you went for it. It is good that I went for it. Because you would have wondered. Yeah. You know? It is good that I went for it because I also have this this great story now. and yeah. And this person is still a lovely person. Um, so I wasn't wrong to like them because they are, they are very nice. Um, but it's like that was one of the beginning moments where it's like in my life, that was an early one where it's like so, it seems like so many signs are indicating a specific direction that you're supposed to take. And then you get there and then there's a wall. It leads you straight to a dead end. And that for me was the beginning of me realizing these are just random coincidences that sometimes can lead you to something that in somewhere you did not expect to get because it is random and it, le- it just tends to go somewhere. But sometimes it leads you to a dead end and that's okay. Turn around, go back, start over and that's okay. And so this movie reminded me of that in that they followed the breadcrumbs that just happened to lead them to the, the, you know, the edge of the forest and then into the clear. Yeah. Yeah. I think all those signs and I think it's good to look for those signs and see them. And that's what makes life. If we didn't see any of those patterns or feel like there was any Mm -hmm. magical it just wouldn't be fun. Life wouldn't be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least as fun as it can be. And then you get good stories out of it. Like mm-hmm. we use these things to create stories and create movies like this and create songs. And I think that's part of like being a person mm-hmm. is forming these patterns and these hopes and these um, connections. Well, if you're seeing, I guess like the healthy way <laughs> to look at it oh, is we're going to be healthy now. <laughs> I, I I guess the healthy way to look at it, I'm just processing as we're talking about it, but like if you're seeing signs and everything, that at least can tell you what you want. Right. Yeah. I think it's it's yeah. an indication that you, of what you're feeling because you're, you're, you know, and this is the argument I think a lot of people make. You're looking for signs. Yeah. Of, mm-hmm. to, to point you in a direction. And yeah. so yeah. it is an indicator of what do you want. It's like yeah. very clearly I want this thing because I'm seeing signs pointing me in a direction. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's it's better to go with what you actually want than something you don't want, you know? So mm-hmm. whether or not the signs are real or not real, at least you can I mean You're being true to, to yeah. your own to uh, to your own I, desires. I, you know, I, I've eaten a lot of shit in my life going after what I want. Um, mm-hmm. and so this is a, literally this is literally what i'm working on with my therapist right now is uh self-trust like Mm -hmm. going with my gut and trusting in my gut and believing in myself uh so yeah i mean like in my early 20s especially like my life was a roller coaster you know i almost became a preacher like you know, and I was looking for signs and everything to like point me to do that, but I didn't want to do that. But I like had like a mental breakdown thinking I had to do that. And, you know, I guess it does work vice versa sometimes where it's like something you don't want to do. You're looking for signs to tell you not to do it. Yeah. You, and you sometimes you also see those signs. So it's like it, you're right. Like seeing signs is like or symbols are like a great indicator of like what do you truthfully indeed down what are you what is it that you want even if you're not fully aware of it yet you know there's a part in the movie that directly when her dress rips and she's like it's a sign her mom's like you don't believe in sign you just said yeah but she deep down 
doesn't think Walter is right. Right. And that's clear, I think, from the like moment we meet them. Like their their <laughs> vibe is not Strange. does not gel. Like them yeah. together, as nice as and cordial as they are to each other, it just like yeah. does not sit right. It's boring. There's no spark at all. Yeah, it yeah. it does not sit right. It it's strange. Yeah. Another, I mean, Seth, I've had some similar ones to you too. I mean, one that I brought up on the show before that I'm not going to go fully fully into was like my prom story. If you remember that one, Seth. Um, yeah, I I asked somebody that I work with to prom who was like an old f- friend from like growing up in my neighborhood, and like we went to prom and I I went all out. Like I went limo. I went I went up. Uh, really nice restaurant got personalized menus and then the restaurant paid for our meal uh and then we go to prom and other stuff happens but basically at the end you know the last dance of the night we are together and a song the song that came on was a moment like this by kelly clarkson some people wait a lifetime for a moment like this some people you know it's it some people will wait forever for that one special kiss. And I was like, and I was hearing these words in my ears as I'm holding this girl that I have just like, I think I'm in love with at that point. And so like, I, I make a move, you know, I make the move and I go for like the kiss on the cheek type thing. And short, long story short, we did not get together. <laughs> we did not get together. And I found out some very not great stuff about that night. And it just was very painful. It was a very painful experience. But like, all it was like hearing Kelly Clarkson in my ears. It's my prom. It, we just had this wonderful, you know, lead up to all this. Like, everything is telling me this is the moment that you go for it. And then, and then it, it felt like a crash and burn immediately after it was, I even broke my phone that night. Oh no. Yeah. We had like a, a post prom thing where we had like a laser tag, like an inflatable laser tag arena in the gym. And, uh, I had my phone in my pocket and I realized I was going all out in this laser tag. Cause I was trying to get out some emotions <laughs> and I fell, I like, like dove. And then when, after I went home, I had, I cracked my phone cause I was going too oh. hard in laser, in laser tag. Oh God. What a, what a night that was. It reminds me of that thing. You just have to, there are some moments where like, if you don't, you know that it's like safer for your own sanity and self-preservation to take the risk. Mm-hmm. But then there are moments when you know that maybe like the, the unknown of it, the maybe of it is what you need. It's like, you're like, how much of, do I just like this thing for the hope of it? Mm-hmm. Or do I have to, do I have to take that risk in order to feel okay later? I feel like there's, you know, Whoa. one way or the other. And sometimes you need that hope of it. And sometimes you need to know. That's the, that's the thing. And I think I struggle with, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to articulate where my head's at with this whole thing. Uh <gasps> It's a sign. It's a sign. Uh, Sorry. We should, end, we should end right now. Uh, I think. So will you say what you just said again, Megan? I'm sorry. You said. I. There are moments when or situations when it 
it is self-preservation to take the risk. Like it's scarier to, there's like a quote, there's a million quotes about this where it's scarier to not take the leap because you can't stand the idea of like not knowing one way or the other. And then there are moments where I think there are situations or people where it's like, like crushes. You're like the hope of that thing is more fun to me than, you know, than like having a definite answer. And I think it's situational and you have to like, for me, I, I at least so far have felt like I know when I, I have to say something or like take that risk. And yeah. for the most part, I've done it. Um, but I also know when I'm like, no, that's more of a that's more of a nice little maybe thing in my head. That'll I have a nice little dream. I am in a psychological place when it comes to this kind of thing of you're not in love with a person. You're in love with the idea of love. And and that's where I get in annoyed with romantic comedies because I have. I, I might be I might be off base because this might be something I'm still working through myself or whatever. But like, I look back at old Seth and who who yearned and wanted these people and didn't get them or whatever. But really, was it the person or was it the idea of the person? Was it? it it's it's the imaginary girl in my head not the real person, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's what I, that's where I struggle is like, you're, you're, you're in love with love. So, so it's hard for me to like the risk thing is, which is what we're talking about. Like in my past, I have taken, I have been Annie. I think that's why I judge her so hard is like, I have done pretty, pretty bold gestures to, obtain my love and ate shit because that's crazy because romance is actually crazy if it's not requited so it's you know uh, I've, I've i've had to recalibrate how i feel about love because though romantic love feels good it's not it's it's like a ricky and i have talked about this before it's like it's like ethereal it's like it's if you catch it it's no longer romantic mm, that produces some deep thinking from megan no i'm just i'm hung up on the the requited part like it, romance is crazy if it's not requited that just that's true, but also the fun of these movies is that you know it's requited. Like, back to the Moonstruck thing. Like, you know that both of them were... In real life, it gets more complicated than that. But 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 we're talking about real life. Like... I know. <laughs> like, like and that's, and that's kind of what I was saying at the beginning of the podcast. Like, my frustration with these movies is it casts this net that this is what love is supposed to be like and feel like. And I have not seen that, really. Maybe, maybe that's kind of to, to kind of like maybe put a, a more sharper point to that, Seth. Maybe that's one of the reasons that you can't that for when it comes to romance in films, you have so much more trouble just like suspending disbelief or, or at least just like buying into this because love is something that comes into everyone's lives in a real way. 
where like you might watch an action movie and like that's really far fetched and that's crazy. None of us are really going to experience that, and so we're all able to be like, yeah, this is fake, and I can just go along with it. But we all actually are looking and and seeking out love, and so a portrayal of love that maybe is a little bit false and unrealistic is a little bit more damaging than something fantastical like a John Wick or like you know something a fantasy movie like like uh, Lord of the Rings or something like that where love is way more tangible to the everyday person than any other yeah, kind of you're, you're setting my expectations element. that this is grounded in reality and it's really not and so so megan have you ever gone after a man like annie have you ever done something like that annie are no. you okay have i have i okay i have I mean, like everybody, you gently orchestrate a situation where you're both in the same space. Like every woman and person who's ever been into somebody, I've never like flown to Seattle for somebody, but I have like, let's all go out to this place. And then, oops, I'm sitting next to you. And like that kind of thing. Have you fervently (laughs) pursued a man is my question. No, no. I had, there was a guy I had a thing for, he was a friend of a friend and I, well, I'm going to say this is, but this is the more realistic part. There was a guy I had a thing for, he was a friend of a friend. I had had a couple drinks one night. I was like, invite him, let's do this. And then like sat next to him. And so like, to me, that is like going after somebody, but I've never been like looking directly at somebody with no, um, no, uh, indication prior that they might be interested, been like. Let's do this. Seth has seen me do that thing. If you back when we were in the improv group in Chicago together, Seth told me he's like, "That's not going to happen." What <laughs> with a per with a person that we mutually knew that I had a huge thing for, and again, talk going to Seth's point about like sometimes when you want something, you look uh-huh. for signs. Oh right? yeah, yeah, and and I thought I was seeing signs. And, and indications everywhere, everywhere. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Seth's like, Ricky, I'm telling you, this is not going to happen. <laughs> he's like, from an outside perspective, I'm telling you, you are, you are delusional. I'm sorry. And I did not believe him at all. And, and it, it all came to a much less dramatic halt, but a halt to say the least. Um, but like even to the point where like I was in a play on the south side of Chicago. This person that I was really interested in lived on the north side where I but didn't have a car. And she told me that she really, really, really wanted to come see my show. And I was like, well, if you want to ride down with me, then I can also give you a ride back. Um, so she's like, okay. So she rode down with me. She was there. She saw the show. My – director and fellow actors in in the play during intermission were like who's that girl that's sitting like in like the the like front row on the side and i was like oh that's my that's my friend um uh she came down with me they're like they're like we think she's into you because she is like locked on to you whenever you're on stage mm-hmm. and like they're like so they're telling me that they think there's a vibe you up, yeah and and i'm like oh okay okay yeah cool so the play ends. My sister's in town with her then boyfriend, uh, who now husband, because um, they're going to see the show the next night. So they came in one night early. 
uh, and they're like, hey, like, why don't we go to Guthrie's, which is a a game like a board game bar in Chicago. Like, why don't we go like board game and drink together? And I was like, sure. So as I was driving back up to the north side to drop this girl off, I was like, I'm going to meet my sister and her boyfriend at Guthrie's. Do you want to come hang out? And she was like, yeah. So we went to the bar. It was just me, her, my sister, and her boyfriend. We had a great time. Like, it felt like like all the pieces are falling in place. Like, this is, like, the night where it's all going to, like, happen, right? Like, we had a great night. We beat my sister and her boyfriend at, at uh, Taboo, which is hard to do. <laughs> It's hard to be two people at Taboo that are dating and two people who aren't dating. Yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> like, you really got to have, like, be on the same, like, wavelength for that other, kind of yeah. stuff. So we be- my sister got really drunk and asked this person what her five-year plan was, which there was no five-year plan. <laughs> and anyway, the night ends. I bring this girl back home, and I think there's that moment of, like, are we going to, like, is this going to happen right now? Because we sit in the car and we talk for like an extra hour after I park outside her place. And then it just kind of doesn't happen. And then things really wane from there. Like things went very downhill from there. Can I hit the punchline to this bit? Yeah. She's a nun now. <laughs> She's a nun now? <laughs> Not yet. She was, she was figuring some stuff out. Not yet. In the process. In the process of becoming a nun. Good for her. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was seeing signs. Yeah. But the signs are fun. It's like having a crush on someone. Having a crush on someone is so fun. It was it was a very fun night. It's still I it's, still to this day love I look that back at that night very fondly. But like oh, oh, did I was I blind? I was blind as a bat. <laughs> Sometimes you misread the signs. I misread signs constantly. Sometimes I do too. Women don't. The signs were telling me. Women <laughs> don't pursue men like Annie does in this movie. That was that was what I was trying to say. Is like, well, nobody should pers- in real life. Nobody should pursue anyone the way Annie does in this movie. Yeah, that's true. But I, that is true. I just, I just, I don't know. I just the moment she's like watching him. And his son from far away. And I'm like, I know it's always like, a little weird. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, women don't do this. This is not, not that well, you know of. Do it. You not don't know. I know of. Yeah, no, no. I, I mean, it's heightened. It's heightened. Yeah. I mean, it, it would, my romantic side would love to be pursued, you know, as a man. Because right. men don't Everybody get pursued. Like men don't be. get pursued. So it's like, it would be, it would be, I don't know. You've yeah. been hit on. Maybe. You yes, you have. Maybe. I've seen. More, I've seen it more by like couples. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen you get hit on. So, and yeah. I know. I know a particular story where you were absolutely being propositioned. Yeah. Well, you know my sordid past, Ricky. Yeah, uh, I do. <laughs> I do. Well. Yeah. I don't know where we're at in the conversation anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to touch on, there's a window here. I wanted to touch on one of my favorite parts about it, watching it again. And why I think I've always really liked it. Or at least, especially like the more, the older I get. The, um, we've talked about how Tom Hanks is kind of at a place where he's like, the most I can hope for myself is just to like, be able to live without like, absolutely being miserable. 
And he says something along the lines of like, that doesn't happen twice. Um, and I think when I was a kid, because I watched so many of these movies, and this is the exception because this one fully is about a second chance at it. There are so many of those movies that are like, there is one person and it is your first real love. And that is it. And when that is over, if that ends, sorry, like <laughs> that's it for you. And this, and I used to kind of think that way and like, um, think that like in order for love to be real, it has to be like everlasting or at least like in, in some ways it is everlasting. I think everybody you love stays with you in a way, but I really like that in this movie, it gives, I think it just is a nice hope that there are second chances at real love. And I don't know that there's enough media about that. Mm. It found it very comforting to watch because I have been in love before. And after my first love, I was like, well, that's it. Um, and then you live and you learn that it just, it happens mm. again in different ways. Yeah. I, 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 I definitely, when I was younger, really believed in like the whole like true true love, one person, yeah. soulmate thing. Yeah. I have definitely over time moved away from that because you're right. That's like so much pressure. Like, so to, like, depressing. Like find that one person and like yeah. – And like you said, like if you feel like you found them and it doesn't work out, like then where does that that leave you? Does that yeah. mean like – does that mean that person wasn't the one for you or does that mean you were wrong or does that mean like then you're just done? Yeah. And I, I think a lot of a lot of romantic comedies will do the thing where it's like – like we talked about. They'll make it so like the partner that the person's with is clearly not the right person for them, right? Right. And and that we see that with Annie in particular. It's like Walter's nice but he's clearly not right for you. Mm-hmm. But I think what they do is a good vice versa to that is like – Maggie was the right person for Sam. Yeah. She was. Mm-hmm. And it sucks that she they, she she died. Like Yeah, they never like, go back on that. Right. They Yeah. Right, exactly. They never she, say like no, like she wasn't the one for him. She was just the one that he was with. It's like no, right. she she was the love of a love of his life. Right. Yeah. And will continue to be a love of his life. She can but, peel an apple. Did you notice that's so yes. King Meg Ryan? Yeah. Well, that's the whole thing. This I whole movie is like, oh, she likes this baseball player. And he's like, everybody likes that baseball player. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she does this. She likes it. And like, they do the thing where like, she'll say something and he'll say something at the same time. Like they're on the, like, like, like I said, like the they're on the same thing. wavelength. Yeah. And then yeah. they do a thing later where Walter and her say two different things at the same time and to show that they're not on the same wavelength. They don't think the same. And so it's like, Okay, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> There's more than one someone out there for everybody. Like you can find yeah. another person to also love. Yeah. I try and like think back on the the big the big the big one that kind of like screwed me up was the Apple Girl in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh I it was the only time in my whole life I thought I knew that I knew that I knew that I loved somebody. Oh. And, uh, and it didn't, it was not requited and it was too much and weird. Uh, but I'm trying, I look back on that and I like try to figure out what was going on there. Like what, what was it about this person that drove these feelings in me? Cause clearly it wasn't love because it didn't work. And I, 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 I've narrowed it down a little bit. I, I think 
what was happening was when I was around this person, her intelligence or like emotional intelligence or something was equivalent to mine. And so I could not hide from this person. So like, I'm really good at masking, you know, and deflecting and like hiding. And I, I've only met like two or three people in my whole life that I can't hide from. And so it was like super jarring that this beautiful woman was someone I also had to be completely emotionally vulnerable in front of. Um, so that was weird, you know, like, so I, I assumed it was love because it was like the only time I felt naked in front of a hu another human, you know, uh, I got into it and then I figured that out because I got into an Uber in LA one time and this, she wasn't, uh, my age, she was like in her fifties, but this woman got in the car and sat next to me and it was so weird because it was like, oh, you see me totally and I don't know how, like, and it, I, the only way I describe it, it's like an energy thing. Like, it's like, mm -hmm. it, and I, it only, it's only happened a couple times. And so I don't know why I brought that up, but I, I guess it's just like me trying to figure out Me trying to figure out what I, I yearn for, I guess. Mm -hmm. and well, not necessarily I mean, about love, but like in human connection, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like, I think one of the biggest questions that like about love is how, do, you know, it's literally a question that they ask in so many romantic movies is like, how do you know that that's the person that you love? And truthfully, you know, love is, 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 it's really hard to define and I think everybody feels it differently. And to, to just push back on your, on your, you a little bit, Seth, just because it wasn't reciprocated necessarily does not mean you, you weren't in love, right? Like, like, sure. Like there's a reason that you felt that way. And I, I think it's good to reflect on that stuff to understand yourself better. Right. Yeah. I think it's good. But like, I think, I don't think you need to minimize the fact that you felt, you think you felt love. And like you, you, it, you very well could have been in love. And even though I think we see that in this movie where like Walter is like, I do love you. Like I love you, but clearly you don't love me. And like, I think that's, you know, we all, like I said, we all feel love differently. We all have these thresholds where we are like, I'm in love with that person. And so just because that per other person didn't feel it doesn't mean that you didn't feel it for real. Right. And I say that because I think, I, you know, I had, I think I was in love. I, I will say I was in love with the, the woman that I dated in college before I graduated. We only dated for like four months, but we knew each other for several years before. You know, we talked about it on the podcast recently about my experience with this person. Um, and I can say like, even in that time, like my feelings were very intense and very real. And genuinely, I believe that if I did not move to Chicago, like if I had stayed, there may have been a longer relationship and future with that person. Maybe. Yeah. I can't say for sure. But I felt 
like I was in love with this person and I can't speak for them, but based just based on the way that when we when we did eventually break up the the emotions that we are feeling at that moment, I believe that that person also had at least some actual real love for me. Even though that may not have worked out in the end, it was just the way that when we said when we said it that it we were, it was over, the way we both sat with it because it was a very much like she she was still finishing up her PhD at the university we were at. I was graduating and then I got a fellowship in Chicago, which is why I moved there. I got a fellowship at a theater company. And so I was leaving in a month. And so we had a we sat down and we had a conversation of do we want to continue long distance? Which is a hard conversation. Um and ultimately we agreed that it was it would be too painful. You know, the that she had still like another year and a half of her PhD program. Uh so we wouldn't be able to be together in the same city for a whole, more than a year. Um and when we had that conversation, the way that when we both came to the conclusion that we were breaking up, like it just like hung there for a second where we both like were just looking at each other. Our eyes were teary and we just sat there and there was like this like resignation of, yeah, this is over. And it, that's and our hearts are broken. Yeah. Because like even though like it was a very short love affair. And we didn't necessarily plan it to be so intense or even plan to have a future together knowing that I was graduating and I could end up anywhere. And then when she graduates, she could get a professorship anywhere. You know, not really planning a future together had started to settle into the idea of being together forever. Even though maybe we hadn't said it to each other. And the idea that like it's getting cut really, really short, I think was profoundly heartbreaking for us both. And even though I, that person has never said that to me, I think I could feel it. Mm-hmm. I know I felt it. And so, you know, 10 years removed from that now, I can say that I was in love with that person. I was. It was short. It was brief. Our 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 relationship really only lasted like four months. But, but in that time, even at 21, 22 years old, I can confidently say like that – I was in love with that person for sure. The person I'm referencing, the Apple girl, when I told her how I felt, she said to me, you don't know what love is. I I don't think that's fair of her. And I mean, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I like, can't lie. Like uh, ever since then, I have no, I'm like a, I have no idea. I, I've, I have not been able to trust my instincts in most things, not just, mm-hmm. not just love. Like that incident, uh, definitely like skewed my thinking about most things, not just it, 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 de- it destroyed my confidence in myself and belief in myself. Mm-hmm. So like I used to be this person that always went with their gut mm-hmm. in everything you did. And then now since that incident i've had to i had to recalibrate you know how old was she when you when we were the same age so like like 24 24 okay i the reason why i said i don't think that was fair of her to to say 
is because it's not for her to say what defines love for you. Right. Like, I think that says more about her than it says about you. And I think that, like, because of where you were at emotionally and how heartbreaking her saying that to you was, that you took that as her knowing more than you did and that that's not the case. Yeah. Right? She she does not know more about love than you. She does not have some kind of insight that you don't have. Yeah, she's still just a person. She's – right. And I don't think it was necessarily – emotionally responsible of her to say that in that way like she could have and again i understand that like humans like you said humans are not perfect these things are usually pretty messy especially when it comes to these types of things but like the fact that you were being so emotionally vulnerable with her and she said something that's kind of emotionally damaging that put that throws it back at, at you instead of the way she feels was i think really really not cool of her you know what i mean like but she could have said how she felt, and I think that would have been absolutely okay. But to, to like throw it back at you and say you don't know what you're feeling when yeah. you're being so open and vulnerable with, with her, I can see how that would completely affect you for up until this point. Like it's shaking, like you said, your confidence and your ability to process and understand what you're Just feeling. Believe, believe what I feel is right. right. You know, right. how how do I trust myself? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. how do I know what I'm feeling is what I'm supposed to be feeling? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, I think I kind of understand. I used to think, I, I don't think I would have said it like that. I used to think like, you can't really be in love with someone unless it's reciprocated. Like you can have mm-hmm. feelings, but you can't be in love. And now I think I because of exactly what you guys are saying. It's different for everybody. I think you can have those feelings and be in love with somebody who, who as if you still know them as a person, you can't see someone and be in love with them. But mm-hmm. if you spend a lot of time with them, if you have that feeling, you can fall in love with them. And unfortunately, sometimes it's not reciprocated. I do think there are obviously, there are depths and different kinds of love where it's not the same to like feel it initially versus being in a relationship with somebody. Like then it builds and it changes and it evolves and it becomes deeper. But I think it absolutely was unfair of her to phrase it that way. Because, yeah, who I, I, it's not fair of anyone to right. tell them that they know better than you how you feel. Right. Yeah, it, exactly. It's like, you, how can, who are you in authority to say how somebody else feels? Yeah. And how, and how they process their, their feelings. It's like, you, you don't understand your, yourself enough to know. It's like, right. well, then who are you, who are you to define it? to define what it is and how that yeah. person feels. There's like a weird defensive arrogance to that. It's a little belittling too. It's mm-hmm. like something you would say to like a kid telling them you have a crush or telling you they have a crush on you versus like, yeah, right. it's not fair. And, and I mean, I'm not your therapist, Seth, um, right. but like, you know, as someone who knows you and knows your, your capacity to love people and how big it is and how much you feel, you do know what love is. You know how it feels because you show it and you demonstrate it all the time. Um, and it, it for me, it, it, it does break my heart a little bit to hear that a person who who you hold, you held in such high esteem and had such strong feelings for was so reckless with, with you and that it, it, it fundamentally kind of broke something. And that hurts me to hear because I adamantly disagree with that in general. Well, that makes me feel good. 
Um, but what I am working on with my therapist is trusting myself. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, why am I the one? Always the one. Because uh, you're you're much better at me than being emotionally open. That's why. Uh, so like, I am trying to like work on trusting myself. Like I am what I am most afraid of. Um, and cause if you like look at my life on paper, it's people might be scared of me, you know, and I might be scared of me. Um, but I don't want to be scared of me, you know, and I want to be able to trust myself and like move through the world in a way that is that feels safe and can believe can believe in myself you know what i mean but i have you know it's not easy to do that all the time especially like looking at my psychological rap sheet (laughs) you know and it's 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 weird. I I feel like I'm saying too much. But. No, I I feel that way as well. In that, the way that we behave is such a result of the baggage and the experiences that we've had, right? And so, it's really hard to trust yourself when, in the past, when you've done so, you've been punished, right? Like yeah. our brains, our brains are hardwired to learn lessons that cause us pain, more so than things that cause us pleasure. Like our brains are – because that's a survival thing. Things that cause you pain are dangerous to your life. So your brain says pay attention to that more than the thing that makes you feel good. Because while it makes you feel good, it's not going to kill you. Something that hurts you can kill you. And so yeah. – Or it feels experience- like it can. Right. Like it can. If, and our, our, our lizard brains are, are you know don't recognize the difference between emotional pain and, and physical pain. Like yeah. it – your emotional anxiety and your emotional pain feels like it's going to kill you. Like it feels the same and our brains interpret it as such. So our trauma, especially repeated, like repeated patterns, like you said, things when situations repeat themselves, our brains are wired to remember the situation, the way it happened before. Cause like, it's like, don't make that same mistake again. Right. Cause it's going to hurt you and you could die. And so like like you said you you've made mistakes or or not even mistakes you've been hurt we, i've yeah. been hurt megan's been hurt and so like whenever we come up to that same similar scenario again there's a there's a fear that comes from putting yourself out there again in the same way even though you know that's what you should do like yeah. intellectually you know you should put yourself out there you know you should take the risk because it's the potential gain is worth it it's still very very scary and it's so much easier to just like you said megan to just be like you know what maybe it's just just as good just to hope and to like imagine the fantasy because it's so much safer and i struggle with that i it takes me years to ask out a crush years to ask out someone i'm crushing on i'm crushing on someone right now that i've known for over a year and i've wanted to ask her out from like the moment i met her i wanted to ask her out and it's been over a year now almost i still haven't asked her out like, because it's scary. How many times have I asked out a crush and it's gone badly and it's hurt me? 
and I don't want to do it again. But there's that like fun imagination of like, what if like we did like go out and like, how that's, cool would that be? That's what I mean when I say crush. Like I have a crush now, or I've, I actually have two crushes now. It's very exciting. And I haven't had a crush on somebody in a very long time. And I kind of like, maybe I just want this feeling. Like maybe I don't want a boyfriend or a, or to date anybody. Maybe I just want to live in like the, oh, he did this or he said this. And like, that's exciting. And just let that be enough for right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it depends on where you're at. Yeah. And we all, we all, we all have that that baggage that we bring to all these new scenarios that like causes us to not trust our feelings and not trust ourselves. And like you said, we all have those things on our history that like people might be like, Hmm, I would like to interrogate that thing you did a little bit more. And, you know, we all are just a, 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 a amalgamation of our experiences that cause us to make new decisions. And it's only ever rarely that we're able to intellectually overcome all that stuff as far as like being like, I'm going to make a decision that I know is antithetical to how I feel because it's, it's mostly just fear and, and survival instinct. So, I mean, I don't know where I was going with that, but, but you know, we're all, we're all with you on that and you know, don't let that past trauma make you feel like you can't trust yourself i mean obviously that's something that just takes a long time to unpack but like we all go through that the things that where people tell us we were we were wrong they're not wrong doesn't make them right right doesn't mean they were correct it's so interesting how much power we give to other people i do the exact same thing where for some reason if somebody else says it i'm like oh well they have to know more than me which Mm -hmm. is not true um but it's i'm guilty of that all the time yeah, they, that person, those people didn't have any more insight in life than we than we do. And so just because they said that something is fact does not mean it was fact. So. Yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll yeah. get there. We'll get there. We'll, we'll make it. We'll make it to the top of our Empire State Building one day. Smile, though your heart is fat brown. <laughs> the soundtrack is so good. The soundtrack is very good. It's so good. Uh, I think that's a good place to end it for today. Uh, thank you, Seth, and thank you, Megan, uh, for talking about Sleepless in Seattle with me. Megan, thank you for bringing this movie to us. Uh, definitely spurred a really, really nice conversation. Uh, we uh, have a special guest coming to join us next yes. week. Uh, Seth, do you want to let us know who's be, who's going to be joining us? Yeah, uh, our good friend from Chicago, Brittany Gillespie. Yeah, she is an actress, director, all around artistic. Uh, uh, the word is phenom, I think. Uh, <laughs> She is an incredible human, and she's kind of the reason Ricky and I are friends. Yeah, so, she she introduced me to Seth. Yeah, so uh, it'll be special to have her on here, and we're going to be doing uh, kind of a heavy movie, uh, definitely a turn from uh, Sleepless in Seattle. We're going to be doing Requiem for a Dream. Requiem for a Dream, yeah. For any of you all who have not seen Requiem for a Dream, 
Definitely not sleepless in Seattle. So be prepared. Um, so if you want to watch Requiem for a Dream with us, uh, is uh, Requiem for a Dream from the year 2000. Uh, you can find it on Pluto TV, Roku Channel, Plex, and Tubi for free. Or you can stream it on YouTube, Google Play Movies and TV, Apple TV, Redbox, Vudu, and Amazon Prime Video for a rental price of it looks like $3.99. So that is where you can catch Requiem for a Dream. Uh, and Brittany Gillespie, uh, we are so excited that you'll be joining us next week. I cannot wait to, to talk about this movie. There's a lot going on in there. So, um, gosh, I'm getting flashes of certain parts of this movie. And I'm like, oh, we're going to talk about that? Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, but intrigued to see what, how this relates to each of us personally, I guess. Um, so, uh, Seth, why don't you go ahead and shout yourself out? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at the Birdie Word. That's T H E B I R D Y W O R D. Or you can find me on Instagram at Seth Adam Crow. That's S E T H A D A M C R O W E. Or SethCrow.com. And that's always with an E, Crow with an E. All right, Megan. I just got your picture, Megan. <laughs> Nora's sleeping behind the computer. She yep. looks very cute. It's very cute. Um, yeah, you can find me on Instagram at uh, Megan underscore Jane, M-E-A-G-H-A-N underscore Jane 61. Um, and at Sometimes Songs for some of my writing. And that's all. All right. And I'm Ricardo Boy Diaz. You can find me at Ricardo Boy Diaz on uh, Instagram and TikTok. You can find this show, the What's It About Film podcast, again, bringing you new episodes every Friday morning, wherever you find podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music. Please keep on listening. Let us know what you guys think of the show. You can talk to us on our social medias on at we have pod what on Twitter, at What's It About Podcast on Instagram, and at What's It About Pod on TikTok. Uh, and please, yes, like I said, come join us for Recommend for a Dream next week with Brittany Gillespie. Uh, and we will see you all again very soon. Bye. Adios. Bye. <laughs>